0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up.
0: It's time for lunch. Mm-hmm.
2: to Time for Lunch. This is a place to learn about eating, cooking, enjoying, and sometimes playing with your food. Each episode, we cover a new subject. I'm Hannah Forden.
3: And I'm Harry Rosenblum. Tune in for food, fun, and flavor. We have a special guest here for lunch today, and it's up to you to guess who they are and what the theme of today's episode is. Are you ready? What shape are you? I'm a crystal. Whoa, fancy. Are you grown or made?
2: In the way that you usually find me, I'm made. But I'm also naturally occurring in all sorts of places.
4: Hmm.
3: We just did an episode about snow, so that's not it. Where can I find you? In
2: lots of food. In the ocean and also in the ground.
3: So you're kind of everywhere. How might I use you?
2: I'm really great at preserving things and helping keep molds from growing on food. I also make pretty much
3: everything taste better. I think I know what you are, but let me try to be sure before I take a guess. One more question. Are you often in a shaker on the dinner table? Yep. You're salt. Hannah, I think salt is one of the most valuable and important things when it comes to food. It's a mineral that can be found in the ground, but it's also in seawater.
2: While we might hear a lot about being careful not to have too much salt, it is an important nutrient that our bodies need.
3: True, too much salt can be bad for your heart, and this is a concern because processed foods that we often like to eat, things like potato chips or candies and frozen dinners, often have a high salt content.
2: But the right amount of salt can bring out the flavors of your food. And while we often consume too much, it is necessary for proper regulation in lots of systems in our bodies, including muscles and nerves.
3: Salt can also add texture to food. I love a salt bagel with the crunchy salt is on the outside instead of poppy seeds or sesame seeds.
2: Ooh, I love Malden salt. There are these huge crystal pyramids that add a really nice crunch and saltiness to
3: simple dishes like pasta or fish. I find that I put salt in just about all of my foods because usually a little bit of salt does make the food taste a lot better. But be careful because you can always add more salt, but you can't take it away.
2: Harry, sometimes I put malt and salt on my chocolate
3: ice cream and it's pretty great. That sounds awesome. I'm going to try that after this episode.
4: You want to hear a joke about chips? Sure. Never mind, it's too salty. Why do sharks swim in salt water? Why? Because pepper water makes them sneeze!
3: Now it's time for our question of the day. The answer to this question is somewhere in the episode, so be sure to listen carefully. Why can't you drink salt water? Keep an ear out for the answer.
2: Listeners might know that Time for Lunch is a part of a big, happy family of food podcasts that come out of Heritage Radio Network. As the only kids' show in the family we get to benefit from the wisdom of some of our big sister and brother podcasts. Our friend, Linda Palaccio, hosts the food history show, A Taste of the Past. She connected us with salt maker and expert Nancy Bruns from J.Q. Dickinson Salt Works in the Kanawha Valley of West Virginia.
3: Wow, how did salt wind up in West Virginia? I was just looking at a map of the U.S., and that is pretty far from the ocean. I'll let Nancy take that one.
4: It is a long and um, colorful history. You have um, this ancient ocean, the Ipetus Ocean, which um, was formed early in Earth's history and um, was dried up when Pangea formed. Um, So when the continents broke back apart, uh, this part of the, the dried up source here in North America was trapped here near Malden, West Virginia. And it's actually under quite a few states. And part of it is actually in Europe. Um, and it the source is between 300 and 1,700 feet deep. And it's been re-dissolved by a freshwater aquifer. So I like to think of it as running under us like a, a briny river. That ancient ocean disappeared from view
2: many, many years ago. But under the surface, the salt water continues to flow beneath the earth.
4: It actually runs through sandstone, so um, it's not like a big void you could go down there and swim in this. And then it was it was pushing to the surface in these springs, which were found by large animals who came and um, all mammals need uh, salt in their diet. These rich minerals are essential, not just to
2: us humans, but to our animal neighbors as well. It was the animals that showed people living in the area where to find this ocean of salt.
4: Native Americans came because it was great hunting ground and they needed salt for their survival as well. And then as the um, European settlers moved west across the Allegheny Mountains into the Kanawha Valley, they found this source, and to have this really, really valuable source away from a coast um, allowed the country, in a way, to, to really expand. So um, they started developing techniques to drill down to get this uh, brine and evaporate it in big furnaces they used.
2: Salt is commonly harvested from ocean waters along the coast, but here was a great Big source miles and miles away in the mountains. When European colonists came to the area, displacing folks from the Iroquois, Shawnee, Delaware, Catawba tribes, among others, they took full advantage of this natural resource. By heating up the water in those big furnaces Nancy mentioned, salt makers could quickly and easily evaporate the water and leave behind pure, delicious
3: salt. Hey, Hannah do you understand how evaporation works? Sort of. So salt and many other minerals are water-soluble. That means that they dissolve in water. In order to get salt crystals, like you probably have in your kitchen, you have to collect salt water, either from the ocean or places like Nancy is talking about, and separate the water from the salt. And that's where the furnaces come in, right? Yep heating up the water and evaporating all it off will leave behind the crystals of salt and you can try this at home ooh cool i want to hear
2: all about that but first we're going to take a quick break
1: my name is sarah kim and i'm from austin texas I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue-helping To keep us together and connected. And I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com.
2: Welcome back to Time for Lunch. Before the break, Harry was telling me about how to turn salt water into the salt crystals we all know and
3: love. So to see crystallization in action at home, you will need one teaspoon of salt, and four teaspoons of water. In a cup or a bowl, stir the salt and water together until the salt dissolves. That means that you will no longer be able to see the salt crystals floating around and moving in the water, and the two will become one, and it will just look like plain water. But if you taste it, it will taste salty, like the ocean. Next, pour the salt water into a shallow container like a baking dish or a wide bowl and leave it in a warm place for about 24 hours and see what happens. You can also try this experiment with seawater. If you're lucky enough to live somewhere near the ocean, you can go and you can get a bucket of seawater and do the same thing. Ooh, I love a good experiment.
2: Now let's get back to Nancy Bruns. I want to hear about how her family became salt harvesters starting back in 1832.
4: The old furnace is still visible. There's a, um, a couple of silos where they stored the salt down by the river. Um, the old salt office that has all these records in it um, looked like it uh, somebody locked the door and never went back in. You know, so it's it's really neat.
2: These days, Nancy has brought salt harvesting back to the property, and with it, some new modern techniques.
4: So uh, we chose solar evaporation.
2: And just like fruits and vegetables take on the flavor of the soil and air they grow around, Nancy's salt has flavors specific to where it's harvested from. We call that terroir.
4: To have naturally produced sea salt, and we consider our salt sea salt. It comes from a, every salt comes from a sea of some sort, either ancient or current. Um, but if it's made naturally, it's going to retain. Um, other natural minerals. So, um, our salt contains 6% trace minerals, uh, mostly calcium, magnesium, and potassium, and then about 25 other um, smaller mineral content. And um, that gives our salt a very unique flavor. It has 15% trace minerals in it, and that gives it that um, beautiful pink color. But I, I think of our salt as really bright, uh, bold flavor. It's uh, not a shy salt, for sure. It's, um, you actually end up using a lot less of it than a regular table salt because it does have such a bright flavor. And um, it's a very uh, clean flavor, and it really does a lot to enhance, enhance foods. Big
3: thanks to Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past, and Nancy Bruns of J.Q. Dickinson Saltworks for sharing this fascinating story of salt with us. Hey, Hannah, do you know what time it is? It's time for a dance break. In the ancient world, salt was largely used for preservation more than flavor.
2: Salt was considered so valuable in ancient Rome that some soldiers were even paid with it.
3: This is actually where the word salary comes from.
2: Oh, that is super cool. Have you ever heard that spilling salt is bad luck? This superstition actually comes from a Leonardo da Vinci painting that depicts Judas knocking over the salt right before he betrays Jesus.
3: Salt is actually dehydrating, meaning it decreases the body's water content. And this is why you can't drink salt water even if you're stranded on a desert island and you're really thirsty.
5: recipe is also a bit of a science experiment. I'm going to teach you how you can make homemade ice cream in just 10 minutes. Here's what you're going to need. One cup half and half, two tablespoons granulated sugar, a half a teaspoon pure vanilla extract, three cups ice, one third cup salt, and two sealable plastic bags, one small one and one large one. First thing you're going to do is take the small plastic bag and fill it with your half-and-half sugar and vanilla. Push out any excess air and seal the bag. Next, combine the ice and salt in the bigger plastic bag and place the sealed small bag inside. Zip up the bag and now all you have to do is shake. And in just 10 minutes, you'll have delicious creamy ice cream. You might be thinking, why do we have so much salt? To get the answer, we have to think about the science. Water has three stages, solid, liquid, and gas. When water is in its solid state, aka ice, it's at its freezing point, which is 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. The salt has an ability to decrease water's freezing point, meaning it creates a condition where water can be in its liquid form at a colder temperature. So whereas the unsalted ice was 32 degrees Fahrenheit, Now, the salted water is even colder and can freeze your ice cream. The same principle is why people put salt on icy sidewalks in the winter.
3: Now it's time for the part of the show where Hannah and I talk about things that we're thankful for in the last week. I actually want to give thanks for salt. It has been so important throughout history in terms of preserving food. Before there was refrigeration, salt was the most popular way to preserve meats and fruits and vegetables so that people could eat them later instead of having to eat them as soon as they were ready and making sure that they wouldn't rot. It's also one of the most important things for a lot of the fermented foods we know and love. I make a lot of fermented foods like sauerkraut, which is just salt and cabbage, or cucumber pickles and brine, which is in salt water. You can even Take seawater, which is the right amount of saltiness, and use that to make pickles. But make sure if you're going to do that, that you get it from somewhere that is clean. So ask your favorite adult if you're going to give that a try.
2: Hooray for salt! Um, In addition to being grateful for salt, I actually have some gravlocs that I am salting and curing in my refrigerator right now, and I'm super excited to eat in a few days.
3: Yum! I know, I
2: can't wait. Um, So in addition to being grateful for salt... I'm also grateful to my friends and family and to uh, the world for continuing to turn. It was my birthday this last weekend, and I ate a lot of cake, and I hung out with some friends in a socially distanced and safe way outside, and I hung out with some goats on a farm, and it was just absolutely lovely. And... I encourage our listeners, even though this is a weird year and things are hard and maybe you can't see your friends as often as you'd want to or hug them as much as you'd want to, it's important to mark special occasions like birthdays because it makes all the difference in the world. Happy birthday, Hannah. Thanks, Harry. At the beginning of the episode, we asked, Why can't you drink salt water? And the answer is...
3: Salt is actually dehydrating, meaning it decreases the body's water content. And this is why you can't drink salt water, even if you're stranded on a desert island and you're really thirsty. Thanks for listening to Time for Lunch today. We'll be back next week with more tasty stories. This show is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Harry Rosenblum and Hannah Forden, with engineering by Liam Warner. Emily Kunkel is our associate producer. Music in this episode was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, and our Fun Facts theme was created by our very own Liam Werner. Special thanks this week to Linda Palaccio and Nancy Brun. You can find A Taste of the Past on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast apps. Time for Lunch is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Time for Lunch is also a part of Kids Listen the number one app for finding great podcasts for kids of all ages. You can learn more at kidslisten.org and you can download the app from iTunes or the Google Play Store. Time for Lunch is powered by Simplecast.
2: And please stay in touch with us whether you have a joke you'd like to share or if you would just like to tell us some delicious thing that you had for lunch we love to hear from our listeners send us your recipes poems book or podcast recommendations or anything else you think we'd like it's super easy to record yourself using the voice memo app on an iphone you can ask your favorite grown-up to help you email us at time at gmail.com be sure to include your name age and your address so we can send you a little something in return This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Thanks for listening.